Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of You Can't Handle the Truth. Today's episode will be a heavy spoiler review, so if you haven't seen this brand new film, don't bother watching it, just listen to this, because hopefully it's going to be a lot more fun and a lot less waste of your time. So today we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to get right into it, but if you cast your minds back to last July... Well, July 2022, because you may be listening to this in the future, I don't know. But when Thor Love and Thunder came out, I didn't like it, obviously, because it sucks. And I was thinking, great, Marvel has reached a new low. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that low has been bested. I think they've gone even lower. All right, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, or just three, Ant-Man 3. I mean, why is the Wasp even in the title? I'm going to get into that, but... Ant-Man 3 is really, really disappointingly bad. Now, I was a huge fan of the first movie, and I'm just looking at the reviews for the second one. It got 70 out of 100 on Metacritic. Like, is that a joke? I thought the second one was pretty bad too, but yeah, it's better in hindsight. It's definitely better than this pile of tosh, but still, Ant-Man and the Wasp got 70 out of 100. And here's the first thing I want to talk about, the writing. So Ant-Man and the Wasp, see, this is going to get so confusing. Why not just... Oh, just call it Ant-Man 2 and 3, I don't care, either way. Ant-Man and the Wasp was written by five different people. Like, that's excessive, if you know how movies work. Five writers is a lot. Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, those two did the Spider-Man trilogy, which, yeah, fair enough, they did a pretty good job with those films, better than they did with Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'd say. It was also written by Paul Rudd, Andrew Barra, who has done nothing, that's fantastic, and Gabriel Ferrari, that's a pretty great name, but he's also done nothing. So these are two partners... So Andrew Barrer and Gabriel Ferrari, those two are a partnership, and Chris McKenna and Eric Summers are a partnership. And then you've just got Paul Rudd, right? He's just there. Just, I don't know. I don't know why, because I guess he's the lead, so he's funny. Haha, <laughs> let's make him right. But at that point in time, I was thinking, it's written by too many people. Too many clashing ideas doesn't work. This time, they've heard some of those criticisms, and they've thought, you know what? We're going to just hire one writer. We're just going to hire one TV writer. He hasn't done a movie before. He's just written Jimmy Kimmel and Rick and Morty. Let's have him do this huge movie, the start of Phase 5, right? No biggie, right? No big deal whatsoever. Let's just have this unknown kind of guy. He's going to do a great job. So Jeff Loveness comes in to write it and save the day. <sighs> no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't saved the day at all. He's made it even worse. This is awful. The writing in this movie is so disastrous. It was making me sigh. It was making me facepalm. It was making me debate whether I should walk out, whether I should go and get a pint and then come back in, because maybe then it would be more enjoyable from a writing perspective, or from an everything perspective, to be honest, because it's not just the writing, right? There is a lot of issues with this movie, but the writing has a huge part to play in why it is so bad. I mean, there's so many lines that are just, oh, they're awful. Like, it's probably down to the performances too. I think some of the line reading is extremely amateurish, right? Catherine Newton in this film, She's a good actor. All right, I liked her in Freaky. I liked her in Blockers. I think she's got some talent. But where was that talent in this film? Because it's almost like she's just nothing. Right? She has no personality. She has no charisma, no charm, nothing. She has no oomph in this world. And the character that she plays, Cassie, is the daughter of Scott Lang, Ant-Man. And we've seen her younger in the first two movies. And then obviously there was a time jump in Endgame. She was played by a completely different actor in Endgame. But they just recast her for this movie because... Why? Because Catherine Newton is a bigger name? Because she's a better actor? Where is that? Where is that talent? There's just nothing in this film. 
the same with everybody, okay? Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, they're all just really weird in this film. The Wasp, okay, the Wasp is barely in it. She's in it for about five minutes, and I'm not even exaggerating that, trying to say, oh, the man is at the forefront, the woman is just far behind. That's not the case at all. It's just that is how she's portrayed. That is the writing they've completely written her out of this movie. Now, I don't know if that's because Evangeline Lilly has her own issues with COVID vaccines or whatever, and Marvel kind of thought, hmm, let's just kind of sweep her under the rug here, but we'll leave a name in the title, right? We'll still call it Ant-Man and the Wasp, even though the Wasp does nothing in this film. She does absolutely nothing. Cassie, Cassie Lang does a lot more. She's got her own suit now. Cool. The homeless thing. <laughs> let's get into that. When we first meet Cassie, she's just been in jail, and she then reveals she got put in jail because she's protesting the homeless and how they have nowhere to go, and they've just been kind of abandoned by society. Tragic, real-world situation being brought into this Marvel universe. I don't mind that, because they kind of weave it into the blip. I do mind that, because I'm fed up of hearing about the blip, right? Just leave it, just let it go. It was years ago, but now they keep saying, oh, because of the blip, so many people were left homeless. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let it slide, I'll let that slide. But then, the only reason this is mentioned <laughs> is because as soon as they go down to the quantum realm, guess what? There's a bunch of homeless people! Of course there is! Of course! Oh my god! This guy, Jeff Loveness, he's written this and he's thinking, this is fantastic! People are gonna think, I'm a saint for writing in homeless to a different world. We can relate it to our own. Yes! Oh, fantastic! The only reason I've had that bit at the start was to set this up. Just stop, okay? Just stop, please, because I'm all for a bit of poetic justice and things coming back later on. I'm all for that, but not when it is so forced and shoehorned in like this right? There is no need for it whatsoever, because the, the way that they tackle the homelessness in the quantum realm cannot be applied to how it is in the real world, so there is no point, because it's almost as if it's trying to make a statement like, this is how you solve the homeless crisis. All you have to do is overthrow Kang the Conqueror, because we've definitely got a Kang in the real world. It's not as if the way in which homelessness was portrayed in the real world was because of a blip, not because of that at all, because we can't take care of Thanos, he's gone. He's already been and gone, right? There's no need to kind of say, we need to go back. Let's go back in time, actually, and overthrow Thanos, just because homelessness is bad. But now, we can do that with Kang. The two cannot be applied together, so don't try and link them, don't try and tie them together when there is nothing to be tied. This is bad writing, this is really bad writing. Anyway, what else happens? The movie, the movie itself is basically Ragnarok, Alright, so similarly to Love and Thunder, that was copying the same kind of humour and style as Ragnarok, but it failed. It failed tremendously. It was awful. This is copying the story and the characters from Ragnarok. It's like, oh, this is my problem when you get a new writer in that hasn't done these movies before. And even a movie before, right? He needs to know how to write movies. I'm not trying to say that I know more than him, but I know for a fact he's writing this as if he is just coming in, having watched the previous movies, and thinking, I wonder if I can do something similar to that, I wonder if nobody will notice, I will notice, okay, I will notice. But anyway, there are moments in this film when it's referencing things that have been referenced in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Not in a good way, right, they're still talking about fighting Captain America. Why? <laughs> Honestly, why? We've been through so much in the last few years, in terms of these movies and these characters, they've been through a lot. There is no need for them to keep referencing things that happened 
years and years ago, right? It's just, it's a broken record. It's just coming round again and again and again. You go back and watch Ant-Man and the Wasp, there were references to Ant-Man going to Germany and fighting Captain America. That was kind of a running theme throughout the film, because at the start, he mentions Cap, and then later on, the Wasp is like, oh, if only Cap could see you now. So she starts calling him Cap. And then even in Endgame, that comes back, because she then calls him Cap. That's cool. All right, that's fine, because this movie is leading on directly from Civil War, which makes sense why they're referencing that. I mean, look, it still doesn't really, because you will have watched that movie in preparation for the next. You don't need to be reminded of what you've already just spent two and a half hours watching. But now in this one, years and years and years have passed. But you know what? In the first 10 minutes, we're still going to reference the Captain America Civil War fight. <laughs> At this point, I was losing it. Right, This is 10 minutes into the movie, and I was already questioning everything. I was, I was losing my patience. I was thinking, I'm going to walk out because I'm fed up with watching movies like this. Marvel especially. There is so much you need to know before going into a movie. You can't just watch it as a standalone experience anymore. But why? Why are we just having all of this information regurgitated at us when, if you're a fan, you need to watch them? You already know this information. It's providing nothing new in this world, in this story. So just leave it. Just leave it out. We don't need it in there. Writers need to know this, please. So Jeff Loveness, my worry is, <laughs> my, my biggest worry, like huge, colossal concern, he's writing the next Avengers movie. He's doing the Kang Dynasty. I'm really, I'm scared of what that's going to be because I just know he's still going to, he's probably going to reference the first Avengers movie because like I said, he's not written for the MCU before. So he's come in, he's been hired by Marvel and they've probably said to him, go and watch the previous films and write a movie based on that. And that's what he's done, right? He's looking at it from a fan perspective. He's looking at it from what can I bring into this movie that's going to make people go, ha, I remember those first two movies because I watched them before. The Baskin-Robbins things, all right. I think it's okay having them at the start and the end. Well, no, not even at the end, just at the start. When there's that montage when he's walking down the street and he goes back to his old workplace or whatever. He's employee of the century. <sighs> yeah, anyway, Baskin-Robbins always finds out. So that's a funny reference. That's a callback to the first one. Yay, we like that. But again, first one's written by different people. Second one's written by different people. This third one's written by a different person. So they're all just clashing. They're all clashing tremendously hard because... I don't think there is actually a reference to Baskin-Robbins in that second movie, but if you were going to have a reference, I feel like it would be in the sequel, not in the threequel. So that that's the issue, right? That is the issue. He is almost disregarding the second movie. That's pretty much what he's doing here. He's just looking at the first Ant-Man. He's looking at Civil War and a bit of Endgame, but Ant-Man and the Wasp is just gone, all right, except for Michelle Pfeiffer. And she has a lot to do in this film, to be fair to her, but we'll get onto that. I haven't even talked about MODOK or the CGI. God. Yeah, last thing I'll say about the writing. There's that scene when there's a bunch of different Ant-Men. And there's just one. There's one Scott that's in his Baskin-Robbins uniform. And this is this is comedy, right? This is classic humour. I was having a ball of a time. I just wanted it to end. I just, I just wanted to end myself or this movie to end. But whichever came sooner, I would take. It just wasn't funny. It just really wasn't funny at all. The thing is, I watched this on opening day at 12 o'clock. Fair enough, not exactly going to be the biggest audience that, you know, you would expect from a Marvel film. You go to a late night screening on the opening weekend, sure, people may be more into it because when I went, not one single person was laughing at 99% of the jokes in this film. 
which is awful. It is so bad. There are so many times when, similarly to Ant-Man and the Wasp, there's a there's a pause after jokes are said, after there's a gag or a punchline, there's a pause because people need to laugh. That's a laugh break. You need a laugh track, right? I always said, and I still will, Ant-Man and the Wasp needs a laugh track. If you make it like a sitcom, like Friends, for example, have a laugh track. I guarantee that movie will be funnier. And the same with this, because there are several moments when there's a line, there's a joke, and there's silence. And you can tell there's a silence when not one single person in a pretty packed cinema is laughing or even chuckling. It's crazy. I think I've talked enough about that, but trust me, I think it's even worse than I'm saying it is. I'm just not being as harsh as I probably could be. So anyway, let's move on to the characters. Michelle Pfeiffer, she's basically the tour guide for the quantum realm. Uh, Michael Douglas, what the hell does he do in this film besides stand in front of green screen and make funny faces? He actually looks pretty good for his age in this film, I will say that. But that's not even a compliment of the film. That's just a compliment of Michael Douglas himself. But you look back at the first two movies and he's the older guy or he's the, the mentor figure. But in this, he's kind of holding his own. Like He does look fairly young. I don't know why. Maybe it's the quantum realm. Maybe it's just making him look younger. Maybe it's also due to the fact that every other person in this film is a monster or an alien or just something weird, right? There's no other humans. It's so strange. And the problem I have with this, the fact that, as Cassie says, as soon as they make it there, the, there are quantum people in the quantum realm. Just, oh, somebody's been paid to write this. Oh, God. Anyway, as soon as they get there, they meet some weird quantum people. There's a robot with a laser eye thing, just Korg from Ragnarok. There's a warrior chick, just Valkyrie from Ragnarok. There's a blob figure, just Meek from Ragnarok. This movie is f Ragnarok, I swear. There's a bridge at the end they fight on, that's Ragnarok. There's a rebellion, there's Viva La Revolution, that's Ragnarok. I could go on and on, it's just Ragnarok. They've made Ragnarok again, but it's not as good. Anyway, the problem is there's no concept and there's no idea of how big anything is in the quantum realm. So when Ant-Man enlargens, when he goes huge, and everybody's like, whoa, he's massive. I can't tell. Right? I can't tell how big he is because for starters, the quantum realm is a tiny universe within our own. That's Marvel's own explanation for it. So technically, he's not even that big. He's still just a, a dot. He's an atom. But nevertheless, when you've got all these weirdly designed creatures and weirdly shaped worlds and planets and things and buildings, whatever, there's no idea of how big a single thing is. So when he's big or when he's small, there's still no reference points, right? There's nothing. Whereas you look at the first two movies, that quirkiness, that charm, that came with the smaller reference sizes. So when he's fighting Yellow Jacket, who is going to come back into this tremendously well, when he's fighting Yellow Jacket in Cassie's room and there's Thomas's Hank engine or when they're fighting the briefcase and there's the phone and the polos, that is fun, all right? Because they are small in this big world. Whereas Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, we have no idea how big this world is. We have no idea anything so there's nothing enjoyable about watching him shrink or grow in size because how are we supposed to know how big he is he could be the same size as he is in civil war but the way that they make it out he's the biggest he's ever been but we have no idea about that none whatsoever so i, I just hate that i hate the quantum realm it's dirty it's murky it's brown it's dull there's nothing enjoyable about looking at the quantum realm which is disappointing because the way it's portrayed in the first movie, it's actually pretty cool. It's some weird cosmic thing, whatever. And it's like a trip, right? It literally looks like a trip when he's going through the quantum realm at the end of that film. 
But in this, I mean, he starts shrinking like there's no tomorrow to begin with. He's literally shrinking again and again and again. I'm like, how f small is he getting? He's never done this before. Why is he doing it now? What's going on? But anyway, the quantum realm, when they're going through it, it starts to be a bit more fantastical or whatever. But then they arrive and it's just nothing. The opening, the opening of this film, it's just dark. There's nothing going on. It's just an empty void. And I, I know that's probably what it is, but if you have an empty void of a realm, don't set an entire f movie there because it's boring as hell. Speaking of boring, let's talk about how long it takes for Kang to be introduced. I don't mind the fact that they're teasing a villain throughout a thing and he's going to come into it eventually. Sure, that's fine. That's how movies work. They don't want to put all their eggs into one basket right from the very start, but they do, however, have a different villain in his place, MODOK. It's gonna give me a migraine if I talk about Modok. If I even look at him again, I'm gonna just... I'm gonna... Uh, it's the worst looking CGI I've seen in a very long time. It's worse than Mr. Electric from Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And I know every single person on the face of the planet that has seen this movie is referencing Spy Kids 3 or Sharkboy and Lava Girl. So me saying that is not gonna be anything new. But still, it is worth mentioning because it's hilarious and it's so accurate. But Modok is just a floating giant head. But it's not, it's not right. It's not right to look at. It's awful. So he has this kind of mask as well, like a golden mask, which it looks better, I'll admit. And when he's flying around, it still looks pretty stupid. <laughs> but then every time, every time he opens his mask up, it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen because of how bad it is. Oh, that's the only thing that made me laugh in this film. The only thing was looking at Modok's hideous face. Now, I know in the comics and in the TV show that came out last year, I think it was, that Modok sitcom on Fox, Modok is always meant to be kind of grotesque looking and like kind of body horror almost because he's just a face and a little tiny body. But in this, they've just made him out to be like a smoothed butt cheek face. It's horrible. It's absolutely hideous to look at. So I just, I think they've butchered him. And at this point as well, I was thinking, is this meant to be a satire? Because... The way that he is, the way that he's cracking jokes and the way that he's acting, it is, it feels so satirical, but the rest of the film does not. So I get that's what the character is in the comics. He is meant to be a joke of a villain. But still, when you've got that in amongst a very serious movie, in fact, but there are still some really bad jokes that don't land, how am I meant to feel? What am I meant to experience from this? And then you've got Kang, the polar opposite. Kang finally comes into it about an hour in. Every, oh my God, the first hour is just... Here you go, here's two different sets of characters going on, going about the journey. You've got Ant-Man and Cassie, and you've got Hope, Hank, and <sighs> Janet. Janet Van Dyne, that's her name, I almost forgot. But anyway, you've got a journey of those three, and you've got a journey of the other two. And the journey of the two, I can't remember. They end up getting enslaved by... The... Oh my god, oh my god, no, there's that line! There's that line! Dad, you have to drink the goo! What is that? You look at Cassie, she's got like red bloody gloop on her chin, like she's just drank something, and then it just, oh, oh no, I just remembered that, oh that's what made me cringe so much, you have to drink the gloop, oh no. So yeah, I saw an interview as well a few weeks back, and it was the main cast, and they were being asked if you were going down to the quantum realm for a vacation, what would be the first thing you do? And they kept saying, that everybody was joking, like, Haha, the first thing I'd do, I would drink this gloop so I'd be able to understand everybody down there. I thought they were joking, but it's real, <laughs> that's a real thing. 
they have to drink this guy's goo and it's just like, oh, now we can understand everybody speaking in the quantum realm. Why? Why? Oh, what's going on with this film? It's just so bad. Anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about. They keep teasing Kang, that's it. Ant-Man and Cassie, I'm just going to call him Cant-Man from now on. You've got Cant-Man and you've got the other three. I don't even know an acronym to call them. Michael and the Wasps. <laughs> you've got Michael and the Wasps and Cant-Man. Cant-Man with the Rebels, they're all saying, you don't want to mess with Kang. He took her home from us. He's bad news. And then it cuts to Michael and the Wasps and Michelle Pfeiffer's like, I knew this guy. I haven't told you about him. He's bad news. And then it cuts back to Cant-Man and they're saying, we need to go and find Janet. And then Valkyrie's just like, wait, you know Janet? Come with me. And then it cuts back to Michael and the Wasps, and they're saying, okay, we need to go and find this guy who's going to lead us to this other guy who's bad news. And then it cuts back to Camp Man, and he's like, so how do you know Janet? Well, when she was here last time, her and Kang did some unspeakable things. And then it cuts back to Michael and the Wasps. I'm not even kidding. This happens for an hour straight. And then Bill Murray comes into it for a scene. That's just Grandmaster. That's Ragnarok right there. He's wasted. William Jackson Harper with Cantman, he's wasted. Oh, he could have been Mr. Fantastic, right? I was genuinely thinking he could be a good Mr. Fantastic, but he's wasted. He just plays a glowing forehead guy who can read people's thoughts. Nothing new right there, that's just telepathy. Make it interesting, but he doesn't. His forehead just glows and they talk about holes and ha <laughs> innuendo. <laughs> it's not funny. It's just not funny anymore. Oh, just please stop. And then Kang comes into it. Finally, Kang makes an appearance. I will admit, I thought that first scene with him was pretty good. I like the fact that he was torturing both Cassie and Ant-Man, and, you know, he was really showcasing his seriousness and his threat level. So, yeah, respect that. But this is when it becomes an issue. This is when it becomes a huge issue. If you look back at Loki with He Who Remains, that's just a variant of Kang. He keeps saying in that finale, if you kill me, worse versions of me are going to start wreaking havoc on the multiverse. They're going to come after you, so... Make a choice, you can either kill me and that happens, or don't kill me and I'm fine, you know, I win anyway. But then in this film, the worst version of Kang that was teased has come, right? Kang is well and truly the conqueror, he is maniacal and evil and extremely powerful, which is great to witness. But then, he just keeps saying, if you don't let me out of the quantum realm because I'm stuck here, worse versions of me are gonna come! Are you serious? Are you absolutely serious right now? So we've had one variation say, do this or a worse version's coming. And now this version, this worse version is still going, do this or worse versions are coming. Uh, what's going to be next? Like, what is coming next? I don't understand. Like, is this just going to happen in every single variation of Kang? They're just going to keep saying, kill me. I dare you, because guess what? More worse versions are coming. They're just lurking in the shadows for now. He is a bad guy. He is a very, very powerful villain, and, oh god, he gets taken over by ants. He gets bested by f ants. Are you serious? Let's talk about the ants. The ants were kind of forgotten about in Ant-Man, because when they all get sucked into the quantum realm at the start, the ants go with them, but then, there's no ants. Where have they gone? Ha! <laughs> ha! Oh, oh, fake laugh, hiding real pain. The ants, they get stuck in this quantum realm time flux situation, and I sh** you not, I'm not even kidding here. One of the explanations for where the ants are, they get stuck for thousands of years, I'm pretty sure he says thousands of years. 
<laughs> and they build their own civilization and they become really powerful and intelligent and they end up breaking out of this time flux going to save Michael and the Wasps. <laughs> Are you serious? Is this real? Why is this? Why is this a thing? Why? Why? Ants have been stuck for a thousand years and they've been developing and rising up. I just, I give up. I give up. Like at this point, I was just laughing for the sake of laughing because I couldn't believe what was going on. And then Modoc, he kind of gets a redemption arc for some reason. And then the moral, the moral of this entire film that Modoc really shares: don't be a dick. Ah. Puss in Boots has a better moral than that. I mean, come on. Everything has a better moral than that. I just... I give, I give up. He's just sat there, like, dead and dying. And then he's, like, coughing up blood or whatever it is. And he's speaking to Cassie and he's like, Cassie, what do I do? How do I save myself or whatever? And then Cassie, in the most green screen shot ever, who's giant at this point too, nobody's going to talk about that, Took Ant-Man a couple of movies to grow tall, but no, Cassie can do it straight away, right? She's fine. Awesome, let's do that. And then she's looking down on Modoc, this giant floating bloodied up head, and she's like, you come on, Darren, don't be a dick. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm so done. I'm so, so done. Um, What else? What else happens? He wants to die in Avenger. <sighs> just, just stop. Please just stop. <sighs> I'm actually getting tired. I think I'm going to leave it there, to be honest, because I'm just, I'm so done with this film. It's one of the worst Marvel films they've ever made. It's just, it's awful to look at. Everything is green screen and CGI heavy. To be fair, I didn't think some of the CGI was that bad, but it's just when Modoc comes into it, it is bad. It is really bad. I think what annoys me so much about some of the CGI too is the fact that even Ant-Man's suit looks heavily CGI'd now. Whereas you look back at the first movie, it looks so much more practical. But in this, he's basically turning into Iron Man because when they're falling through the quantum realm and he, he doesn't have his suit on, but he just pulls it out of his pocket because he has it all the time apparently and just places it on his chest, double taps, and then his suit comes onto him. That's just Iron Man. Like, that's just Iron Man. All of these characters, ever since Iron Man, spoiler alert, died, have tried to replicate him. Whether it's Spider-Man or Thor or Ironheart in Black Panther 2, you cannot replace Iron Man. So why is Ant-Man having a suit like this? Because there is no need. Like, that is a Stark Tech suit. When did he get that? Because Stark's been dead for a few years, mate. Okay, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, on his deathbed, Tony Stark was like, Ant-Man... Oh, sorry, Scott, I want you to have this suit so you can be like me one day. Ah, oh, just don't. Just don't play with me. Anyway, the rest of the film, cinematography-wise, I just can't remember it, honestly. It was just dark. Like, it's so dark, you cannot tell what is happening in any frame. Which is annoying, because I think the first two actually look pretty good. And because of that, uh, because of the... Uh, because of the world of Ant-Man, and because of the... What's the word? The references, you know, oh, that's big, that's small, that's funny, you know, that's cool. But with this, because everything is just, oh, there's a galaxy up there imploding on itself. Oh, there's a giant head baby thing. Oh, there's a bunch of houses that can fly and shoot rockets. But guess what? You're not going to find out how big any of it is. It's just annoying. It's just really annoying. So the cinematography, they kind of did the best they could because, you know, obviously having had to create this whole world from scratch, I can understand why 
some things are going to look more exaggerated than others, and it's not meant to look like anything we've ever seen before. So I can respect that, but a lot of it is just not enjoyable to look at. So I didn't care for it, and the editing, because it keeps jumping around from this character to that character, and prolonging the inevitable fun, I didn't like it. So I just didn't appreciate, as much as I probably should, the components that make up this film. Now, I don't want to be harsh, because I know that people have spent a lot of time working on a film like this, you know, a huge amount of time, but, you know, just <laughs> I want something better. Like, we deserve something better than this. So I just, I cannot praise a single thing. Like, whether it's the directing, the writing, the editing, the cinematography, the music, so forgettable. The costumes, I don't like. I, I just, I just don't like the designs of the costumes themselves. So, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I think the only thing I will give a little bit of credit for is probably the production designers, because... It's not just practical, right? When it comes to production design, they will be working on a digital production too. So maybe in that regard, it's okay, but it's just, uh, it's not great. But anyway, the, the costumes themselves, Kang, he, he, he looks comic accurate, which is good, but I'm just not a fan of the visor. I'm not a fan of the helmets, to be perfectly honest, because in the comics, he's got this like blue visor thing. And it, it's not transparent, it's just kind of a blue face with a purple helmet. And they've got the design done pretty well. It is still very CGI heavy, and it's far more than it needs to be. I'd much rather see some practical effects and costumes. But the visor that he's got, it's made to be more practical in the sense that, oh, what would this guy with this future tech have? He'd have a transparent blue visor to to kind of make him look like the Kang we know from the comics. But... It just doesn't look right for some reason. I don't know if it's the CGI or if it's the way that Jonathan Majors' face is kind of shaped for that helmet. I just don't know. But I will say this, probably the only positive I can take from it. Jonathan Majors, I liked him as Kang. Towards the end, I hated him as Kang, but he's an extremely talented actor anyway. I love Jonathan Majors. So, of course, I'm excited to see whatever he does next in this universe. But the post-credits, the post-credits of this film are absolutely awful. It's just becoming a joke. It's actually becoming a joke with the character, with the universe, with whatever is going to come next because there's a whole bunch of different Kangs, every single variation, the Council of Kangs. There's a Pharaoh Kang, there's a Robot Kang, there's a Lizard Kang. It's just awful. Like, it is so cringy what happens in this. And then as well, they keep saying, oh, the humans, the Avengers, they're beginning to touch the multiverse. We can't let that happen. I'm sorry, what do you mean beginning to touch? Because we've had a whole f movie with multiverse in the name. Doctor Strange 2, Loki, Spider-Man, all of these films delve into the multiverse. If we are only just touching it, what's going to come next? Like, what? What are you talking about? So I just think this film is entirely muddled because of the writing, because of the direction. Peyton Reed has come back. He did the first two movies. It should have been Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright was doing the first movie, then he backed out. It should have been him, it really should have, but Peyton Reed, he did a good job with the first one and parts of the second one. But in this, it's just becoming a generic action movie that looks like Marvel meets Star Wars, basically any Disney movie because there's Wreck-It Ralph references too. It's just not, it's not good. It's really not good and it pains me because I wanted it to be good. I wasn't that excited for it and this shows why but I was still optimistic that it would be an enjoyable time at least. But I was wrong. I was dead wrong. It's not even so bad it's enjoyable. It's just so bad. I don't think I ever want to watch it again. 
Which, oh, it's, it, it made Eternals look good. It made Thor Love and Thunder look pretty good. It made Doctor Strange 2 look good. It made Black Widow look good. It made everything bad look good. Uh, maybe that's the best part about this film. It's making everything look good. But I don't know. Just the ending. Probably the last thing I want to talk about. The ending. They could have done. And I'm pretty sure they did originally. But they reshot it and they rewrote it. They could have had such a bold ending. With Kang possibly escaping. Or maybe even not. Maybe just leave that as it is. Kang does not escape the quantum realm. But Ant-Man and the Wasp gets stuck down there. Because the way it was setting up. That's exactly what happened. The portal closed behind them. Ant-Man and the Wasp. They look out over the quantum realm. They see all the ants rising up and they see the rebels. And I'm thinking, okay, wow, they're going to be stuck down there for years and years and years. And they're now going to have to make a life in the quantum realm. That would be a bold ending. That's just like Captain America sacrificing himself in his first movie. And then he comes back 70 years later. Interesting. I thought if they're not going to kill off Ant-Man, because I genuinely thought they were going to, but they didn't. They didn't kill off anybody. I have issues with that because you look at something as recent as Avatar, there are genuine stakes and consequences to everything in that film. But in this, nothing. There is no consequence to anything because the villains lose, the heroes win, that's it. And they sort of tease at the end, oh, did they really win? Is something worse going to come? But I don't even care because this film itself is very much a closed circle of heroes win, villains lose. That sucks. That really sucks because... There needed to be a loss, there needed to be either Janet dying, Hank dying, Ant-Man dying, or them being stuck in the quantum realm, and that's where it looked like it was going. I genuinely thought when that portal closed, and Ant-Man is crying, he's saying, is Cassie safe, is Cassie safe? And the wasp is like, yes, she's fine, don't worry, she's fine. And that's it, I was thinking, Ant-Man is stuck, that's a pretty crazy ending, I'll admit, that's kind of good. But no. No, dead wrong. Right, Cassie just opens up the quantum realm again, like it's nothing, like the portal wasn't just destroyed, but it's fine. She can open it up again. What? <laughs> what? What? Oh no. So they're fine. They just come back out. That's it. The movie's over. And then he walks down the street, he goes into a restaurant. Janet's got a different haircut because it was reshot and that's clear. And that's it. The film ends. Just end it differently. Please, have them stuck. I think a much better ending would have been they get stuck down there and they don't come out until the next Avengers movie when they have to be rescued. That would have been great. That would have been so fun. But now what? Now what's going to happen? Ant-Man 4 is going to happen? Why? I don't want it to happen. I don't want any more of this. And I don't want the writer, Jeff Loveness, to be doing the next Avengers movie. But he is. I just... <sighs> yeah, I think I'm done. What else do I want to talk about? I don't even know. I think that's honestly everything I wanted to cover. I hope you enjoyed. I'm sorry if this was just a, a hectic rant of bullshit, but that's the best way to describe this movie, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. You watch. It's going to make a ton of money. It's probably going to make almost a billion. I don't, I don't care for these characters anymore. I don't care for anything anymore. I, I'm done with Marvel, honestly. I haven't watched a lot of the TV stuff that came out last year. And I'm getting tired of these movies too. So we've got Guardians of the Galaxy 3 to come out in May. And then we've got the Marvels, which is basically Captain Marvel 2, coming out in November. So at least there's a bit of a gap between these films. And ironically, the Marvels has just been delayed by four months to hopefully finish up some of the effects. Make it look good. Because this movie got brought forward four months. Hence why it looks pretty bad at times. And I don't want to disrespect the work that the VFX artists have done. But 
it's not good. It's really not good. And the way that the green screen is used, because obviously they cannot be in the quantum realm. So they need to use that. But can they just make it not look as obvious as it does? I'm positive they could because it's never been this bad to look at. It has never been this noticeable and this bad before. But why all of a sudden, with the last few movies, with Thor Love and Thunder, and now with this, everything looks so fake and cheap? I don't know why. I really don't. So please, Marvel, just let the VFX artists take as long as they need to finish a movie because it could be make or break. But ultimately, this movie has far too many issues going for it, aside from the VFX. The writing, once again, let's get another dig in at that because I just can't. But anyway, I do think that's it. I'll update this if I think of anything more. I do not see myself going to watch it at the cinema again, that's for sure. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It should be on Disney Plus within a couple of months, I imagine. But I just don't know. I don't know what they're doing anymore. And I hated this film, as you can tell. So with that, Ant-Man and the Wasp probably... Well, no, it definitely is the worst film I've seen this year so far. Because up until this point, I hadn't seen a single bad movie. And I was getting a bit excited. I was thinking, wow, this year is going to be great. <sighs> oh, how naive of me. I was so wrong. Anyway, with that, this has been the spoiler review. The spoiler hates review for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I'm not even kidding when I say that I think I enjoyed Love and Thunder even more than this. Which is shocking. Really, really shocking. But that's just this movie. It's really, really bad. And yeah, I guess until next time, I've been Kieran, and don't don't go and watch it, please. But let me know what you think if you do. I know of a few people that are enjoying it, my dad's included, so I'm going to disown him. But anyway, I'm going to go and grab a drink because oh, that's the last thing I'll say actually. Yeah, I, I mentioned it briefly at the start, but I was honestly considering leaving halfway through, nipping across the road to the pub and having a drink, and then coming back to watch the rest because. I wouldn't have missed anything, and the thing I was holding out for never arrived. It was just a prolonging introduction of Kang, and by which point I was kind of fed up, just in general, and I didn't enjoy it. So, yeah, wasted character. Wasted characters, right? Everybody was wasted in this film. But let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoyed this review. It was pretty fun to do, actually. But until next time, I shall speak to you. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, a little bit of a coda here. I've seen it for a second time. I don't know why. But there's a few things I wanted to mention, and I also want to comment on what's happened at the box office with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, right? So, first thing, MODOK wasn't funny the second time, right? The first time it had that gimmick of being so f hideous, like an aged-up Benjamin Button bald baby butthead. But the second time it wasn't funny, right? It just, it wore off, so it was just painful to look at. And the thing about him is the eyeline was all off. So obviously there wasn't an actual giant head there. But because of that, the actors probably had to look at, I don't know, like a ball on a stick or something to show where Modoc's eyes were going to be. The problem though, the problem is Modoc looking back at everybody else. So when he's looking at Ant-Man, when he's looking at Cassie and the rest of them and Hope and uh, Michael Douglas or whatever, he's looking above them. Right, the eyeline is just off, so he looks cross-eyed. It's honestly even more embarrassing than I thought they could make him, because he looks completely ridiculous and not in a fun way. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say about Modoc because haunting my dreams. The other thing, right, the wasp, because the wasp is so forgettable in this film, I had no idea, the first time watching it, that for that final battle, she has kind of like golden wings. Right? She has yellowy golden wings, but when did she get those? <laughs>
What have I missed? Because I don't even know if that was a thing the first time. I'm pretty sure this could be one of those times when Marvel updates something and sends out the updated version for people to watch because they couldn't get it finished in time. Like they did with Thor, Love and Thunder for the Disney Plus release. Cats did the same. They removed the human hands or whatever. I'm pretty sure they've done it for this film too because I do not remember the Wasp having golden wings for that final battle. But seriously, when did she get them? Right, she's been in the quantum realm, there's not really any supplies, the ants come to save them of course, but what, they just built some golden wings for her to have? What's going on? Because she didn't have golden wings for the rest of the movie, I'm pretty sure, but she doesn't do a lot in the rest of the movie, so I could be wrong in that, but I don't know, it's just so weird, when I saw her with the golden wings, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> when did she get those? So yeah, I don't know, it's a sh movie, <laughs> that's all it is, and clearly because... Let's talk about how it's done at the box office, which is hysterical. Opening weekend, it made $106 million uh, domestically, so in the US, which is not great, <laughs> not great already. Um, and then, <laughs> second weekend, right, every single film pretty much has a, a drop, right, a significant drop, usually somewhere around the 60%, you know, mid-50s would be great. I think Avatar 2 got about the mid-50s which is solid, but then in the third weekend, it actually got an increase, which is unheard of. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, oh dearie me. I believe it's had the second lowest second weekend drop in the entire MCU, which just says everything you need to know. Right, so $106 million opening weekend, second weekend, $31 million. That is a drop of 69.9%. That's one of the greatest, or one of the worst, I should say, one of the largest drops in history of cinema which is just staggering. So, I mean, even the dailies are hilarious, right? The opening day, 46 million, next day, 33, next day, 25, then 14. And then that week, okay, Tuesday to Friday, it didn't make more than 10, which is just ridiculous. This is Marvel. What's going on? 7 million, 3 million, 3 million. <laughs> what? And then Friday, 8 million. So it's going from a Friday of 46 million to a Friday of 8 million. Something is wrong. Something is terribly, terribly wrong with Marvel. But this is hilarious. I absolutely live for this because it's not going to get any easier. I can guarantee that drop is going to get even worse because this weekend you've got Creed 3 coming out. Next weekend you've got Scream. The weekend after that you've got Shazam. The weekend after that you've got John Wick Chapter 4. Then you've got Dungeons and Dragons. Then you've got Mario. Ant-Man is dead. Ant-Man may not be dead in the water, but it is bleeding. And when you're bleeding in the water... The sharks will come out. So Marvel, you're done for. I'm sorry, but Marvel is done. I mean, it's going to be really down to Guardians of the Galaxy 3 to determine whether people have got this serious fatigue of Marvel or whether they've just got bad Marvel fatigue because Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a very, very bad film, in my opinion. Um, second time did not help at all. I was just bored more, I was in pain more, it wasn't fun, it wasn't exciting, it wasn't fresh. I've just kind of lost all hope, to be perfectly honest, but yeah, this is hilarious. This is really, really funny. <laughs> so we'll see how... Oh, no! <laughs> Monday, right, Monday the 27th of February, it only had an average of $396 per theatre. Oh my god! <laughs> Oh no, that's like 30 people going to watch this movie. <laughs> that's amazing, that's so good. Anyway, I'm done, I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> and I'll speak to you in the very next episode of You Can't Handle.
<laughs> the truth. 